There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth. Revealing emotion, strengthening their self-awareness, and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity, and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you are tuning in from around the world, this is another epic story on the case study of man and the conscious journey of man. We're looking at how one man goes from unconscious to conscious and the trials and tribulations that they go on through that process so you who is listening or those that you know who are struggling with this can have a resource and a tool to help you shift into a more meaningful and fulfilling life and today i'm with ezra coming in from kuala lumpur brother how are you good how are you doing luca good man thank you very much for joining me now my pleasure first question is where did you grow up and where do you live now um i grew up on the east coast uh um upstate new york um and then I kind of moved around a lot. I lived on a farm in Iowa. I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to high school and college in Texas and then uh, uh, eventually left the States when I was 28 to Southeast Asia. And uh, um, I've only been back briefly since then. Mm-hmm. And you're in, yeah, so you're working in Malaysia right now, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I've been in Malaysia for the last two years. And before that, I was in Bali for actually nine years wow. on a... And most of that was on a, a, a journey of self-discovery and really mm. figuring out what my purpose was. Bali does that to you, doesn't it? Like, I feel totally. like you get, you get, <laughs> this is the place to go if you want to figure yourself out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's empirical evidence, too, I think. Too. So how, how old are you now, Ezra? I just turned 43. Wow. Yeah, you've had a good life, mate. You, you probably look as young as I do. I'm 30. <laughs> and what are you doing for a living? Um, right now, I am working for a company doing community management. Um, so I build online community. And also, I have my own personal coaching business on the side. So awesome. uh, a couple of years ago, I stepped away from my own business to be a part of a bigger mission. But I'm about to transfer back into my business part-time to full-time to really to build my own thing and, mm-hmm. and really step into my own voice. Awesome. And what is that? What is that own thing for you? Um, I guess... The thing I'm most passionate about as far as coaching goes is uh, emotional health mm-hmm. um, and how that relates to your relationships. So 
I've realized, and this is my own personal story, is you can give people a roadmap, but usually there's a lot of um, limiting beliefs, uh, emotional blockages, and self-sabotage that keep people from actually following that roadmap. And so what was so important for me that I now help other people with is really getting to the core and to the unconscious to break up what these beliefs are so they can be free to move forward essentially taking those rocks out of their backpack so they're uh, lighter and lighter and lighter. And then they can actually move forward into the life they want to create in their dreams without all that baggage that we all have, um, you know, from our childhood. Mm, that's beautiful, man. Beautiful. And what's one thing you're really good at? One thing I'm really good at? Um, I don't know. I've... Uh, when I when I find something that I love to do, I, I kind of put 100% into it, and um, uh, I can get quite good at it um, as long as I'm interested in it. And then I usually get bored and I, I go to something else. So the last for the last five years in Bali before I left, I was a professional DJ. Wow. And before that, it was just I'd always wanted to DJ, and I decided, hey, now's the time. Let me just buy some equipment and learn how to DJ. Um, I'm pretty good at networking, so I knew a lot of people in the nightlife industry, and I knew if I could become at least half a good DJ, I could find work, and that's what happened. I ended up getting a residency at the W Hotel, and I uh, DJed for five years in Bali, and it was epic, and then I got bored of it, and um, now I'm getting back into dance, back into uh, hip-hop and, and break dancing, and so for me, I, I really find that I need a, a creative side. Yeah. Or else I'm always focusing on work, yeah. always on personal growth. And I need something where I can just play and have fun. Mm. And it doesn't have to be in the service of, of trying to get somewhere or create something. Mm. That's beautiful, man. That's really cool. Do you know your human design by any chance? Um, yes, I'm a manifesting generator. Okay. Yeah, I was going to yes. say, you've definitely, got, you've definitely got those vibes. That they, like, they, they, I looked into... Um, human design for a while but I was like you're either a manifest or a man gem because you can do a lot of things you've got, if you've got a lot of energy to do a lot of things it's really interesting yeah but that's yeah. cool um, and what about one of your biggest fears right now what's, what, what's, one of the, what's one of your biggest fears right now I think probably my biggest fear um, and this is what I've had to kind of uh, deal with the last uh, several years in building a business and being an entrepreneur is there's nothing to hide behind anymore. It's like either you're either you're successful or you're not, and it's fully up to you. <laughs> and um, if if my business is failing, it's because of, of the things that either I'm doing or I'm not doing. And so as I step back into my business with much more experience and understanding of, of all that, I think the next the next phase for me is really getting back in front of the camera and mm-hmm. Unapolog- unapologetically being able to share myself and my own story in the service to others. But there's still so much of like, oh, how do I look? You know, are people going to receive me well? Am I enough? You know, and so it's all those those personal um, things that uh, I think a lot of us work on. And, uh, you know, I still continue to work on. Um, and uh, so that's the next evolution of my business is, is fully owning my voice. Can totally resonate, man. It can be quite confronting when you when you just put yourself out there. Hey, it's on yeah. the on the internet. I totally yeah. resonate. What's one of your favorite quotes? 
Um, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, I don't know. I I I'm always I'm always uh, sharing quotes, but uh, I'm trying to think of the last one. I just shared uh, one in a conversation uh, this morning, um, and, it, and it's, it's it skips me. Um, I do I do love the quote, and I don't know it by heart. It's a long one. The one by uh, I think it's. Uh, Winston Churchill, that Brene Brown um, quotes. It's about the man who stands in the arena. Uh, have you heard that mm, one? So powerful. Um, about vulnerability, about leadership. Like, and, uh, don't, don't listen to anyone who's not in the arena with you. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much, right? Paraphrasing. Yeah, who's, who's getting dirty, the dust in his face, all of that. Uh, I love that quote. Mm, it's so true, man, because we can, it's like, and, the, and I think another one of that is like a lion. I mean, this can be a little bit like, um, what's the word pretentious but the lion does not con- uh, concern himself over the opinions of sheep yes yeah. similar similar thing right like it's like yeah. are you in the are you are you me are you in the arena with me type thing I, I love that yeah. one how does that yeah. like do you is that do you resonate with that quote because you feel like you're prone or prone to sort of taking on other people's opinions in your past um, I think um, yeah, I think that's um, been part of my story is, is worrying about how I look to others, mm. even though a lot of times I do, uh, I've made a lot of choices going against the grain, but there's, there's always some kind of, um, you know, need for validation or um, caring about whether others uh, think, and it's like in the mind because when it happens, it doesn't really affect you, but you're in your mind the whole time worrying about what if it happens and how it'll affect you. But when it does, it actually doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, this fear setting exercise by Tim Ferriss. When you really break down your fears, they actually don't exist because when we're projecting, it, it just seems like this huge monster kind of in the clouds, in this fog. But when you really look at it, they're actually, they don't exist. Mm. And even if that did happen, it would be, you would recover from it so much quicker than you would perceive to. Yeah. It's all about, it's like assumption based, say like our mind likes to draw conclusions. Yeah. 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 What's a conscious man to you, Ezra? See, a conscious man to me is, I guess, if I was to describe myself and, and, my growth towards being a conscious man is um, someone that's self-aware, that has a growth mindset, that is committed to being a better man every day in his work, in his relationships, um, in his personal life, um, professional life, um, and that takes uh, ownership. Um, So a a big thing is uh, I'm about is personal ownership and owning and stepping out of every victim story uh, in your life. Um, and, uh, you know, I love uh, Jordan Peterson's quote about clean up your room before you go out and try to save the world, mm. you know? So take care of everything you need to do internally and even before you go out teaching it to others. Mm-hmm. And so my journey is I didn't even... I wouldn't have never been able to be a coach or support people had I not gone through my own transformation and cleaning up a lot of my stories with my father 
Um, and that allowed me to live into my purpose. So I was searching for my purpose and I didn't find it until I actually healed my stories and that allowed me to live in my pur- uh, purpose. Mm. But coming back to a conscious man, I think also um, one that's um, has found the energy and is also committed to serving uh, their community around them. I think everyone has more energy than they personally need. And so once you are able to catalyze that and use it um, to your advantage, you can then give it forth to mm-hmm. to everyone else and help lift up those around you. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, man. What, what's one thing that challenges you right now? Um, besides, besides my work, um, let's see. I guess it's, it's figuring out um, the new normal of this situation. And although I feel like I'm uh, benefiting um, from the current situation, it's also there needs to be some more strategic choices because um, I'm on a visa here in Malaysia, but I want to transfer, you know, at least out of full time work. But then would I lose my visa? If I lose my visa, where am I forced to go? I can't just go back to Bali. So it's like I don't want to go back to the States. So if I, I'm a U.S. citizen, so if I don't go back to the States, then where can I go? So it's kind of trying to juggle all of these unknowns at once um, in where am I going to live? How am I going to run my business? Um, So kind of like in this box a little bit. And so it's just, but it's just trying to figure it, figure things out strategically. I usually make emotional decisions with work where, if, if I'm not feeling it in my heart anymore, I'm just, I'm gone and I, 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 and I figure it out. But here, I think I need to be a little bit more strategic. So this is the challenge right now. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. What does unconditional love mean to you? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, definitely um, something uh, I've, I want to move towards. I think it, I think it's just like enlightenment. It's, it's. It's the, it's the direction that everyone wants to move, but I think um, it's, it's challenging and it's not easy as like, oh, you know, I, I love my child unconditionally, you know, or I love my partner unconditionally. Oftentimes when we look at it, actually our love is very conditional. So for me, it's really figuring out how can I love without possession, without needing to possess someone. Could I get to the point, whether I want this kind of relationship or not, where I could be totally in love with this person, but not need to possess them? Could I be in an open relationship where I love this person, but I allow them to explore with other people? I don't know. Um, But I think moving towards unconditional love is closer to be able to be in that position where you can love someone wholeheartedly and regardless of what they do does not diminish, diminish that love. But that's, that's a challenging one, I'm sure. Yeah, man, for sure. I like that. The use of uh, open relationships, like that's, um, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts on that with, um, Marcus Aubrey, I think had one, which really fascinated me because it was his way of working on himself of going into an open relationship because you realize how much like attachment to that person you, you have, how much jealousy, envy, all these qualities that 
that he did not want to have. So he's like, well, that's why I went in there. And, and he's like, it was the greatest reflective tool I've ever done for myself. Like one of the greatest healing tools I've ever had because you get to see all the shit that comes up with it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting how you mentioned that, but I totally feel that, man. And then the last question for this, this, this uh, section is, do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you? Yeah, I think I, I believe in, in something, some kind of energy, um, some kind of all-inclusiveness. Um, I've kind of uh, varied back and forth between uh, atheist, agnosticism, uh, agnostic atheist. Um, I was uh, fortunate my mom never really indoctrinated me with any one religion. Um, she's, she's now a Buddhist monk, um, but she didn't even force Buddhism on me. She kind of allowed us to, to, she exposed us to many different religions and allowed us to choose. And I think when you allow a child to choose if they want to be in Sunday school, whether it's in Judaism, Christianity, or, um, um, you know, in, in the, in the mosque, I think most children will choose to go play instead. And so all of my brothers, we are all um, agnostic or atheist at this point because we were never forced to be in church or anything. Um, but I do, I do believe there is uh, some kind of energy. It's um, um, maybe not necessarily a consciousness, but just, just this, this energy and interconnectedness of all things that um, you can be in flow with or you can be in resistance with. And uh, I think my, my spiritual practice is about being in flow with what is and where it's going rather than trying to fight it and trying to create what I want against that flow. Yeah. So Taoism say like, be like water, yeah? Just water goes wherever it needs to go. It doesn't yeah. resist it. And it goes to the most horrible places and fills it up with beauty. It's like, I was listening to a course on uh, this morning on Taoism where it was like, Water goes to swamps where everyone rejects. You know, like water will go to a swamp where people don't like it. They're not attracted to swamps, but the water will go there and it will happily fill it up. Mm. And I was like, wow, isn't that so interesting? It's like it will. If you, go, if you be like water, you, you, you have to accept that you'll go a place where you might not think it's beautiful, but be there and fill it up. Yeah, so willing yeah. To, to go where it takes you. Yeah, yeah I love that, man. And now we'll go into the main question. So the first one is, what did your life look like as unwoke now, unconscious, mm. and how does that compare to now? Yeah. So I, I went through uh, my kind of quarter-life crisis at 26. Um, I was two and a half years out of um, engineering school. I was working in tech. Um, I was working in research and development and technology. And basically, my goal in life was to buy a Lamborghini. That was my goal, because if I had a Lamborghini, I would have the lifestyle to go with it. Mm. And that was on my vision board, uh, this purple Lamborghini. And that was, you know, my whole life was filled with materialism. And uh, I think about a year prior, I had bought a, a, an Audi. I upgraded from a Honda to an Audi. So I had this kind of luxury car and it was great. Um, but I started... And I, you know, I had a house um, and I filled up the house with all this furniture and I started having all these things after graduating from being a poor college kid. But these things were not giving me what I thought they would give me. 
you know, I would always read these magazines about stereo systems and furniture and all of these things. And I had some kind of epiphany at 26 while sitting in my cubicle that even if I got that Lamborghini now, I would not be any closer to happiness. Something was missing and more stuff would not fill it up. And then I had an existential crisis where I don't want to be an engineer anymore. Uh, I don't know what I want to do for work. I don't know what I want actually, if I don't want these things, um, and, and my whole world collapsed. And the only thing I did know is that I wanted to travel. I had never left the country before. And I, I thought maybe I will find the answers on my travel. And so, um, that kind of, you know, created this whole journey of me. But before that, I lived a very egoic, uh, selfish and narcissistic lifestyle that, uh, it, it kind of put fuel on my, um, clinical depression that I had been diagnosed with at 14. And so I was, you know, I had suicidal depression from 17 on, uh, been all, on all sorts of medications. And I think this kind of lifestyle or this mindset fueled that depression and made it worse. Um, so, um, and I did get worse, uh, rather than better by focusing all my attention on acquiring things and status and ultimately power, which money would bring me. Right. Interesting. And how does that look like now? I mean, you don't, you seem to have a, had a huge shift in your life. How's it compare? Yeah. Well, it was, it was interesting. You don't have a Lamborghini, do you? <laughs> no, no, no. Don't need one anymore. No. Um, it was interesting when I went through my first shift. So I read the the power of now. Mm. And I went through this kind of awake awakening where I, I thought, oh, I've been sleepwalking, everyone's sleepwalking. And this actually doubled down on my ego because then I used this kind of awakened state as a, a, a position of superiority. <laughs> and so I would look at people and I'd be like, oh, you don't even know you're sleepwalking. Look at all these zombies. Mm. And I actually went further into my hole rather than like starting to come out. Um, and so then I had to go through breaking free of that. And the exercise of leaving the country and having to sell everything that I own was very liberating. All of this stuff that meant so much to me when I finally sold it, I sold my car, I sold my motorcycle, I sold all my furniture and my stereo systems and all of this. And I left with two bags of clothes and it was probably one of the best feelings that I had in my entire life was actually letting go of that stuff rather than acquiring it. Mm. And that led me to adopt more of a minimalist lifestyle uh, mm. moving forward. Um, cool. And definitely now it's, it's about experience, not things. Mm. There are things that I need to buy in order to facilitate experience or share that experience. But um, there's nothing... I, I don't need to buy a, a sports car anymore. I don't even need to buy a car, period. Yeah. Um, with technology now, it's like you don't even need things. The one thing I do, uh, I love my motorcycle, and I love riding a, a, a fast motorcycle, So, but uh, that doesn't cost a lot of money. Yeah, totally. It's interesting how your values change and, and everything changes yeah. around you, but it's more so around like feeling the experiences of life around you. Um, but, uh, you know, like 
don't get me wrong for people listening doesn't mean that you know a conscious life means a minimalist life it just means you totally. change you change what's more what's really important to you hey because because yeah. you were placing a lot of value as that external solution that external substance or material was making you better and happier when actuality yeah. it wasn't right yeah exactly there, i have nothing wrong with people that want to buy things um, sometimes I want to buy things too. It's just, I no longer need them to, yeah. to, uh, validate something in my life. Yeah. It's more like, is this an effective thing in my life? <laughs> you know, you yeah. look at it like, do I need yeah. this for some for a greater purpose? So I like that, man. But what was your biggest vice in that period? Um, which, which period? The, so the, the unwork period. What was like your biggest okay. vice that you were using? You know, was it addiction? Was there like, what was grabbing hold of you most? It was, it was spending every money that I had on my car, wow. you know, okay. um, I, I didn't really have, I don't, I didn't have any addiction issues per se, but, um, I had really bad financial, uh, I would just overspend. I live above my means. Um, I got into huge credit card debt as soon as I turned 18 and got my first credit card and I was in debt for the next, um, you know, eight years paying that off and then just spending everything on, you know, high end this, you know, this wallet, you know, this name brand thing and just, just a lot of crap that is, uh, were you doing that for validation, like to, to, to feel supported or seen by others around you? I think, yeah, I think, I think it was like, I always liked kind of going my own way and being like different. And I think I use these, these, um, these material things to all further establish my difference that, you know, I'm interested in this, you know, I have a uh, deep knowledge in, in, in whether it's stereo systems or, you know, fashion wear or, you know, whatever it is that would further differentiate me. And, um, ultimately basically what superiority complex was, was feeding my ego. And that's how I needed to feel support superior in order to just feel okay with who I was because I was so far from um, feeling just baseline okay. Mm. And so that was my um, my uh, substitution. Yeah, it gave you that sense of a higher purpose even. Almost. Yeah. Well, yeah. What emotion challenged you most through that same period? Anger, anxiety, shame, guilt, fear, sadness. Which one got you most in that period? Anger. Anger. So I, I had a, a lot of anger uh, ever since I was a kid, and I had no idea why uh, until I did the work later. But um, anger uh, fueled a lot of things, and um, it also disrupted a lot of my relationships until I properly dealt with them okay. um, years later. Um, and I had no idea that my anger stemmed from my um, the story that I had made up about um, my father. Um, who I had never met, but um, uh, yeah, that was that was I think my biggest one. That so, to, so you say I, that it was as you've done the work on it, you've contributed to your relationship with your father, or the relationship that you did not have with your father. Was there anything else that it was con- tied to that anger? Well, the anger, um, personally, my belief, I think anger is a defense mechanism for us to maintain control of our emotions. So if we're angry, we're kind of able to direct that emotion. Mm. Uh, and my personal experience, when I, when I cleared up that anger, what, underneath what I, what I found was tremendous sadness. Mm. So the anger was actually protecting me from the sadness. Mm. But when I, when I took care of the anger 
or started working on it, I saw that there was a deep level of sadness, uh, which was fueling my depression below that. Mm. Yeah, okay. And the depression, do you feel like, what was that coming from, the depression? Yeah, so uh, very interesting. You know, I was uh, clinically depressed by doctors at 14. They said I had a chemical imbalance, that I would spend the rest of my life on antidepressants. I went over the course of 10 years, I went on six different types of antidepressants. They'd work and then they'd stop working and then they would actually make me more suicidal. Um, But um, I went on a, uh, about six years ago, I went on a uh, a plant medicine journey that took me to um, the jungles of um, Peru and basically discovered my core story and healed it. And that was one of, you know, um, if I don't have my father's love, then I'm not complete. And what I needed to experience, uh, which plant medicine allowed me to, was that I'm complete without my father's love, that I'm, that I'm always, I always have been and always will be complete regardless of uh, external love. And this helped me transform my story and ultimately um, transform my depression uh, where I haven't experienced suicidal depression since I still have my mood swings. You know, everybody, you know, goes up, you know, I have those days, but I definitely don't have that darkness like I used to. Mm -hmm. And so it was very, very interesting. My, my experience that I basically had accepted that I would, suffer from depression for the rest of my life. And when I went through this transformation, it, 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 it felt like I was able to finally start being able to live my life. And this was only you know, 37 years old. I can now begin to live my life free of, of this darkness and this, this baggage. Mm-hmm. And uh, that led me into the work that I do now in helping, guiding and helping other people on the same journey. It's a beautiful story, man. It's beautiful that where you've how you've transcended through that experience, and especially the the clinical depression. I think there's a lot of people that can resonate with you on that, right? Do you do you tend to help a lot of people that have had similar experiences? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Um, you know, depression's a it's a real um, it's a it's a tricky one. I definitely I don't work with with when I first started coaching. I did work with people with depression, but it, it tends to be. A kind of a very long journey and uh, I'm not in the business of therapy nor am I trained in that so but I will consult with people and 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 help uh, help them make more informed choices related to their depression and uh, give them some other options um, but um, I was fortunate that uh, through by 15 years of work and then my journey with plant medicine that that I was able to um, transmute that, that, that depression into something else. Um, but, uh, plant medicine is not a silver bullet. Um, it's, it, it called me and that's specifically why I went, um, went towards it because I had also tried many of other different modalities and everything kind of funneled into this last, um, conversation with, with, with nature ultimately. Um, but, um, I do, I do sit down and talk to people, and if, if they are wondering, is, is plant medicine the right journey for me? Um, and so um, everyone's got it, it. It affects everyone differently. And so I, there's, I really say you've got to explore, explore everything. 
I like to use the metaphor that like you're, you want to build a, a house. If you want to build a house of your consciousness, um, you need a toolbox full of multiple tools. It's not just one tool. You can't build a, a house with just a hammer. So you need a screwdriver, you need a hammer, you need a drill. And all of these different tools are, whether they're breath work, plant medicine, meditation, um, you know, personal growth, uh, shadow work, all of these things, you've got to find which tools work in your toolbox to build this house of your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's house is different. I love that, man. That's really cool. Good analogy. And Thanks, man. What, what about... Whose love did you crave most growing up and who did you have to be to get it? Did you, was it your dad or was it, did you have love from your mom? Yeah, no. Well, my, I never met my dad. So he was, he was gone before I was born. Um, my mom was a single mother. She was raising two boys and she was working two, three jobs. And we basically were raised by the TV. So she was always gone working, you know, just to put food on the table. And, you know, um, I think I developed an anger for my mom. So, but what I really understood when I was a kid and when it would come to sports, I would really, I felt like I was at a deficiency because I didn't have a father to show me how to throw a ball. I didn't have a father to show me how to talk to girls. I didn't have a father to show me how to be a man. So I felt really at a loss in these areas when I was growing up. I was basically terrified of girls until I was nearly in my 20s. Um, I didn't play any sports almost when I was a kid because I just felt I was not good at it. And um, that kind of mindset just perpetuated itself. And I didn't know how to be a man. So I think I was craving this father figure without ever knowing my father. And uh, and then I didn't have this mother figure as well. And I. I found out later I blamed her for not having a father. And so um, I spent a lot of that time alone. Mm, okay. Yeah. So your relationship with your mom now, how is that? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I healed my relationship. Yeah. yeah, I healed my relationship with my mom, I think, back when I was 34. Um, I, and I had to release a lot of anger towards her as well. And we have a, we have a really deep, um, and uh, loving relationship yeah. now. I love my mom, and uh, she's a really amazing woman. Everything she's done in her life, and uh, the reason I am who I am is because of imprinting of her, the model from her. So I have a lot to be uh, thankful for her. That's um, beautiful, man. Beautiful. You have yeah. that realization. Was the anger because she wasn't there and she was working all the time? Yeah, yeah, that was one of it. Um, you know, she's not there. She's not present. If she was. If she loved me, she would be here. Uh, but also, I my father's not here, and you're the one that chose chose this man that's absent. So I blame you for that as well. Mm. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like when you're like 34, you found that it's like maybe probably because you realize, oh shit, working this working life's pretty difficult, hey? Like, <laughs> I appreciate oh, yeah. your mom for raising two, being a single yeah. mom, raising two young kids, like. Definitely yeah, I can't imagine. All the single yeah. ones out there right now. Totally. Love that. Um, what about your lowest point, Ezra? You know, you mentioned suicide a few times, like having suicidal depression. What was the lowest? Talk to me about the lowest point in your life and, and was suicide an option? Yeah, yeah. So, so I had, um, I kind of had suicidal ideation since I was 17. 
And I would have, I would just, I would have these thoughts of sometimes when, when depression came that I just wanted to end my life. Um, when I was in high school, I would, I would carry a razor blade in my backpack and I would have these fantasies about walking up on stage in the middle of uh, lunch and slitting my wrists and just, you know, dying in front of everyone. And that's like, I, I wanted, I wanted to feel meaningful or, or, or some, I wanted to matter, you know, in some way. Um, I never did it, you know, but, um, what I went through later, and this was in Bali is, um, my depression actually started to get worse. And this is what facilitated my exploration in, uh, to Peru is my depression got really bad. And on my 37th birthday, it was the first time in my life where I decided, okay, now I'm going to do it. And so on my 37th birthday, I Googled how to kill yourself uh, painlessly. And I basically developed a plan um, for, I think it was July 26 was the date. I planned it out. Um, I set it all up. I was actually going to go through with it. I had told my mom that I was going to kill myself. I told my best friend that I was going to kill myself um, and uh, to kind of prepare them. And um, so everything was set up. And the night before I was supposed to leave, uh, one of my friends, he kind of he forced me to come to this party. I was supposed to DJ at the, the W for this big summer party. And uh, I got pulled off the roster because some visa issues. So my friend invited me to the party to come anyways. He knew I wasn't doing too well. He's like, you got to come out, man. You got to get out of your house. So I came out to the party. I thought, okay, well, I'll go to this party. I'll be able to say goodbye to all my friends and then I'll leave the next day. Mm. So I was at this party and... I saw this woman on the dance floor and there was just something about her. Um, I, I just felt like compelled to talk to her. And so I eventually went up to her. I started a conversation with her and we got into this really deep, very deep, very quick conversation in the middle of the dance floor with 800 people, huge party outdoors, you know, in Bali. And we went deep and our friends were like, hey, stop talking, dance. And she's like, no, no, no. We're like having a conversation. Something triggered in me that I needed to, I needed to talk to her more. And it wasn't even on a sexual, uh, you know, it, it was something beyond that. So I decided uh, I'm not going to leave tomorrow. I called her up and I said, hey, I have to talk to you tomorrow. Um, I decided not to go um, to where I was going to go. And I ended up meeting her. We talked for six hours and talking to her, she, she basically was my angel. Mm. And that conversation with her facilitated, it, it pulled me out of my hole just enough that I was like, I fucking need help. I need to, I need to uh, use all the resources I have. I have savings. I need to do that to get help. And if I can't get help, then maybe I can look at this option, but I really need to get help. And um, basically this option to go to Peru showed up within a couple of weeks later and everything just kind of wow. lined up. And that was the moment, hey, because Peru was yeah. quite profound for you. That's beautiful. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That, that's like the synchronicities like that. It's like eight, in 800 people, you have a compelling interest to talk with someone and it just shifts everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that was yeah, the so start of your journey to, to where you are now. 
yeah, like a big yeah. part of it, yeah? Yeah, wow. so yeah that, she... Was that the significant moment of awakening, or was there something else? No, I had already been doing personal growth for, yeah. for 10 years prior to that. And so the big, the big thing was, in personal growth, it was like, I want to do this myself, and I want to say I did it myself. Yeah. So I never worked with a therapist. I never worked with a coach. I never worked with a teacher. I just did my own work on myself and with some success, some varying success, but not completeness. And so this point was a catalyst to finally get me out of my pride of doing it by myself, saying, I need help. I can't do this. I will probably die before I get there if I don't get help. And so I think everyone has the capacity to get somewhere alone. But with help, you can get there so much faster. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a position of where you have depression or suicide, time is really, it's not an option. You need, you need help mm -hmm. sooner than later because it could mean life or death for you. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, man. And what, what healing modality was the biggest for you or helped you the most on your journey? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a practice for that? Yeah, so my, my, my core story was about um, this unforgiveness I had towards my father and then my mother. Um, but once I cleaned up that, ultimately it was a lack of forgiveness for myself. And, uh, you know, being able to accept who I was as a person, uh, everything I was and everything I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the biggest book related to this particular thing that, that, that helped me transform my life um, that I also share with other people now is uh, the book Radical Forgiveness. Mm. And, what's, and so the, it's a, what's the concepts on, in, in that book? It's, um, it takes, it takes uh, forgiveness into a, it's a, it's a kind of a spiritual, forgiveness is a spiritual uh, philosophy. Um, and it's, it's really, so, I was having this conversation before this book, I was having this conversation with a coach and he, he started probing me about my father and I was talking to him about something else. I was like, I wanted to fix this and that. And he started probing me about my father and it started agitating me and I started getting really angry. And I was like, I was like, I was like, fuck my father. Uh, I don't want to talk to him. I want to work on all this other stuff, but fuck him. We're going to leave him over here. I don't want to touch him. And then he asked me, have you forgiven your father? And I was like, yeah, yeah, about three years ago, I told him I forgave him. And then he asked me this really important question. He said, he asked, do you know what forgiveness is? And I sat there with, a mo with it for a moment. And I was like, I was like, fuck, you know what? I, I actually, I don't know what forgiveness is. <laughs> you know, because they say, oh, forgive. And you just, you just think, oh, I just say, for I forgive you and you forgive. And so he said, Google it and come back to me. And so I, I went after the call, I Googled it, I read a couple articles and then something in, in an article, I, I looked up forgiveness and then how to forgive your parents and then how to forgive your father. I read this one line and I just, I just broke down in my kitchen for about 20 minutes crying. And uh, it was that moment where I really realized that this is, this is really heavy. I've got to deal with this because this is huge. And it's not like I can't clean up all this other stuff and not touch this. So, wow, man. so radical, that's uh, radical forgiveness sounds like a really powerful book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, that allowed me to ultimately uh, come to terms and in 
have, having to accept my story of my father, find compassion with my father, and ultimately forgive him, and then do the same with myself. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. I love that. And what else is there? So you said plant medicine. Has there been anything else that's helped you? Um, I mean, a lot of... Um, I've, I've read a lot of books over the years. Um, I think a, a big thing now is, a, which I didn't find till re- recently, but I think a lot of other books talk about it and it's, it's stoic, stoic philosophy. Mm. So it's really just accepting what is. A lot of my, my personal suffering was being in resistance to what is, mm. you know, what the reality is. And the more you can accept what's actually going on, the less you suffer from it, you know, like COVID, like losing your job, like your, your, you know, partner leaving you or whatnot. And that's not to say you're not going to hurt when it does happen. But when you have this mindset of acceptance Mm -hmm. and understanding you're, you're going to recover so much faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. What about your friend group? How has that changed as you've changed? Hmm. Yeah, big. So I was a DJ for five years in in Bali in my early 30s. And I thought I had hundreds of friends. I was like, man, I've got hundreds of friends. Like, this is amazing. Um, Even though I felt so empty inside. Mm. And then I I went through this process, which I think a lot of people go through eventually is, is you you wake up one day and you realize all these friends, they're not friends, they're just acquaintances. And you don't really have a deep connection with them. And so those 150, 200 people that I thought were my friends, it shrunk down to like less than a handful when I really took stock at who is really my inner circle um, and who can I really depend on. And this, this was huge. Mm -hmm. Then I really started to understand what boundaries were, um, what my standards were, um, the type of people that I wanted in my life, the type of people I didn't want in my life. And I, that was painful, too, because you, you think, oh, but I've known this person for 10 years, you know, you know, but you actually don't have a healthy relationship, you know, or a relationship of depth. Time doesn't make friendships and relationships. It's the quality that does and the depth. Mm, that's, an, that's a beautiful statement. Time doesn't. It's the, it's the depth of it that does. Because I, I agree with that. I've had some of the... My best friends now are the friends that I've known the, 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 for the least amount of time. You know, because we have yeah. the ability to get personal. and Because that's really what it is. If you know someone over a length of time, you're a good friend because you've seen them through certain experiences, right? Yeah. But you can know someone just as deep in such a short period of time if you are willing to be vulnerable or open up and, and just have those different conversations. So that's really interesting. What part of this conscious journey are you most grateful for, Israel? I think what I've realized um, in the last two years of coming to this company and um, managing again and becoming a leader, um, my first my first uh, experience with management was was I, I did very poorly. Um, I didn't know how to manage people. I didn't have compassion for people, and uh, I think. My, my, something I'm very grateful for in my journey and where I am now is I have much more compassion and understanding for others and where they are in their, their place in life. 
And uh, when I first began this journey, it was like, oh, I'm here and you're so far away and you just don't have a clue, you're unconscious. And even when I started my coaching journey, you know, I was trying to force people into, you know, it's better over here, come over here. And of course, you've got to go through that, you know, where you stop trying to force people into these conversations and force people into things they're not ready for or they don't want. And then eventually accept and have compassion that everybody's on their own journey. And some people will get here or there, um, but not everybody's supposed to get to where you are or, you know, everybody's got a a different journey. Mm -hmm. And it's really about having compassion without judgment, um, you know, Um, and so that's cultivating less and less judgment as I get older. Um, I really enjoy that about myself. Yeah, I love that. It's a very powerful quality. And the last question, what's one tip that you would give your old self just starting this journey? Um, Read those books that uh, you were given to that sat on your shelf for five years um, (laughs) that you ended up reading 10 years later. Mm. Um, I think, but, you know, I... When I first started, there was a lot of things. It's like, oh, I wish I did this sooner. I wish I did this. You know, I should have listened to this. I had this opportunity. Mm-hmm. But of course, in hindsight, you could, you always see like you could have been ahead of the curve. Yeah. And I think the biggest biggest thing I would actually tell my younger self is is to be gentler on yourself, um, and that is to accept where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. You've got plenty of time. I thought, I thought I, I basically um, my life would be over by the time I hit forty. And actually, my 40s are my best, so far, my best decade of my entire life. And so I would tell my younger self, be gentle on yourself, accept and love yourself. And you've got plenty of time to figure this out. You know, just keep at it. Um, there's no rush and, um, and, and, and more self-love. Mm, beautiful, man. Beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing your journey, Ezra. With those listening and with me, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, man. It's been uh, great, man. It's awesome. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you do want to reach out to Ezra, his social media handle will be in the show notes. And until next time, take care. I got love in my eyes, bro, I can't see I'm gonna be who I'm destined to be Wokeness is taking my old self away Yeah, I put love into me I'm spreading that love, yo, don't you see Grab your cacao and drink it with me Cause wokeness is taking my old self away Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Bring love and just be Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.